0: Everyone, Welcome back to Zora's Daughters, the podcast where we share Black feminist perspectives and close read, pop culture, and other social topics that affect Black folks. I'm Brendan, and I use she, her, hers pronouns.
1: Hey, y'all. I'm Melissa and I use she, her, hers pronouns. Today, we're talking about neuroexpansiveness, Black disability politics, the fall of Twitter, and how deeply ableism is built into our everyday conversations.
0: We also want to say, right here and right now, live and direct, um, as some aunties say, that departments and companies are thinking about 2023 budgets. So if you would like for us to do a workshop for Black History Month, Juneteenth, or any other day, because it's Black Feminist 365 over here, feel free to get in touch. We've done workshops on supporting Black women in the workplace, reclaiming your radiance, and finding joy and community for international companies, universities, and local organizations. And we create custom interactive workshops and talks that address the needs of your group that people actually enjoy. Uh, Mm -hmm. So please head on over to ZoraSauders.com to email us uh, for details.
1: Before we get into the episode, we wanted to give a huge shout out to our listeners who came to the AAA, the American Anthropological Association's annual meeting. I couldn't attend this year because I'm in Martinique, but I did attend virtually and I can't wait to meet everybody. In 2023, in my hometown, in Toronto, it's Toronto, not Toronto. Okay.
0: Oh, uh, In Tor- Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> how how? Um, about? <laughs> I was there this person, and uh, this person, this year in person, um, and I experienced some loving, intentional Black feminist community that honestly, truly, Was beautiful, made the conference worth attending to a degree. Um, And I'll leave that there. Uh, But I also really experienced some violent shit too, but I'll save that for the what in the world. Um, The bright spot really was just getting to meet some of our listeners and making some new friends so if you got to see me and we got to spend some time together just know that I'm incredibly grateful and I told Alyssa all the good things that y'all had to say so um just know that we're just basking in your love um I also did a presentation and I revealed my worst kept secret apparently (laughs) you can tell people that you can sing but nobody believes you until you can actually sing um which is something I learned (laughs) <laughs> and i'll say this because one of our colleagues who specifically requested not to be roasted on the show about his hair right left room for roasting about something else um so <laughs> I, don't, I can't even resist saying this right i saw a range of outfits and i think somebody should do an ethnography on anthropologists and how they dress because we definitely have our own particular styles Um, But this person, I think might be a nominee for the Drip Don't Stop Award um, because I have literally (laughs) never seen someone wear a jacket and a blazer with the same pattern at the same time. Um, And if you hear this and you know it's you, just know this is all love, me jesting in love. Um, But yes, the Drip Don't Stop Award goes to you.
1: I you you really you really had to say something even though that person asked you not to.
0: You know, I am a agent of chaos, but I spell it K really am an agent of who K-OS. is a
1: Toronto rapper. Okay.
0: <laughs> oh, that's a rapper. Oh never <laughs> mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought okay.
1: You um, thought you were being original. Sure. No, no. No, no, no. Nothing <laughs>
0: is new. Nothing is new.
1: I'm pretty sure he's the one who did um. <laughs> the crab in the bucket song got the crab in the bucket i can't sing brendan anyway it was a big tune back in the day don't worry worry
0: about it
1: (laughs) (laughs) i'll add it to the end of the i'll add it to the end of the episode if i remember (laughs) anyways before we start going into reading outfits like we do on the red carpet i also just wanted to add that brendan did relay all of the lovely comments From those of you who were there and it's really encouraging to know that all of this work is being seen heard and deeply felt so i really appreciated it i've been joking with people that brendan is giving the the hard sell on a season four so (laughs) we'll see what happens on that note creating episodes like these would not be possible without the support of listeners like you the best way to support us is by becoming a patron where you can access the zd community speak to us personally, and see exclusive videos and audio from our episodes. Head to patreon.com slash to learn more. Another way you can support us is by leaving a rating and a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, following us on social media, and sharing our episodes with your friends, your family, students, neighbors, and that boss who we all know does not really understand how equity works and so keeps trying to put you on a DEI committee. Just share it with everybody.
0: everybody, everybody. You know, equity is not equality plus. We have to keep explaining this to people. Um, but and we can in a workshop, <laughs> we literally can.
1: I studied with equity Al- studies. This is my
0: oh, you did? Oh, that's your that's your bag. That was my
1: major. Okay. Yeah, that was my major. Equity studies. People think I'm talking about finance, and I'm like, no, it's social justice studies. Um. <laughs> Also, nobody believes me about that, but that's another story for another day.
0: Mm. Mm-mm. Now we need to fight, but let's see. <laughs> let's get into our word for today. Alyssa, what's our word for today?
1: So, our word for today is neuroexpansive. And I'm not going to lie, the first time I saw this on Twitter, I. Okay, I wrote in the script that I had to stop myself from rolling my eyes, but I rolled my eyes. I was like, ah, here we go again with another one of these words. I'm a work in progress, y'all. I'm a work in progress." Okay, I'm
0: a we work all in progress. You <laughs> all are.
1: But instead of this being the thing that I let turn me into Candace Owens, I decided to look up what the word actually means, who is using it, and why it's being thrown into the ring. With neurodivergent, neurotypical. So, neuroexpansive was coined by Ngozi Alston, a disabled community organizer, crip, and death doula who uses they she pronouns. According to Alston, neuroexpansive is a rejection of the term neurodivergent and the ideology that undergirds it. So, the term is specifically for black disabled people. So, I don't wanna hear, I'm not, I mean, and I did see, I'm pretty sure. I saw a panel that was that used neuroexpansive, and I was like, "This is this word is not for y'all." But
0: wow, can proceed. we have a single thing? Um, no. <laughs> what does <laughs> so? What does neurodivergent mean? Right? Neurodivergent was coined by Kassian Asasumazu, a multiply neurodivergent neurodiversity activist. And it describes having a brain that functions in ways that diverge significantly from the dominant societal standards of normal, a corollary to neurotypical, which means not displaying or characterized by autistic or other neurologically atypical patterns of thought or behavior. So these are not medical terms, right, but rather a way to describe people using words behind normal and abnormal.
1: Right. And we've talked about that before, right? Critical disability studies often draws our attention towards the harms of the idea of the norm or normal because there is no single definition for what that is in humans. As much as we like the neatness of mathematical probability, human life, behavior, and bodies, they don't really work that way. So our belief in this possibility, however, is one of the reasons ableism is so deeply entrenched in the world. And as we'll see in the next segment, which we're not getting to yet, don't worry, even in some of the most radical spaces, do you see this ableism um, being perpetuated? Mm-hmm. But back to neuroexpansiveness.
0: And so we read Austin's writing closely as they have been theorizing and thinking through Black disability, justice, and abolition for years. And they write, quote, despite their prominence within disability communities, Neurodivergence, neurodiverse, and neurotypical will never be able to accurately describe black body minds because we have never been, quote, neurotypical. This is why I'm inviting black people only and specifically to explore neuroexpansive.
1: I I love that there's that it's an invitation, right? They're not mm-hmm. saying you have to, you have to take on this label or anything like that. It's 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 an offering for us for people to think differently about about their disabilities, about their expansiveness, and and what that means in relation to a a white supremacist world.
0: Right.
1: When we talk about norms and what is typical, the unspoken subject of that label is the white non-disabled body-mind. Something that can be gleaned from the massive underdiagnosis of Black people's ADHD and autism, which we really saw during the pandemic starting Mm -hmm. to come out. People were talking a lot about I learned during the pandemic I have ADHD, I learned during the pandemic that I have autism or both, which then led to studies showing that these are underdiagnosed in black people. Disability does not show up in us in the same ways as white people. These standards and diagnostic criteria are often anti-black, imperialist, patriarchal, queerphobic and more, pathologizing any deviation from the white cis hetero non-disabled male body mind functioning. Neuroexpansive decenters whiteness from Black disability experiences,
0: and allows for us to really have uh, a more just conversation about addressing neuroexpansiveness in our communities. Um, so, which is really what we're going to talk about right, in our next segment, which is what we're reading. So, what are we reading today?
1: We're reading Black Disability Politics by Sammy Schock. For this episode, we read the Introduction and Praxis Interlude 1.
0: Dr. <laughs> Sammy Schock uh, uses she, she, her pronouns, and she is an associate professor of gender and women's studies at University of Wisconsin-Madison. She earned her BA in English in creative writing and women's studies from Miami University, her MFA in creative writing and poetry from the University of Notre Dame, and her PhD in gender studies from Indiana University. Dr. Schock's interdisciplinary research focuses broadly on disability, race, and gender in contemporary American literature and culture. In addition to her two books, Body Minds Reimagined, Disability, Race and Gender in Black Women's Speculative Fiction, and Black Disability Politics, she is published on literature, film, and material culture in a variety of peer-reviewed humanities journals. Dr. Shock also writes for mainstream outlets, serves as a board member for Freedom Incorporated, and once twerked with Lizzo, Hey,
1: which, yes,
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> she identifies as a fat, black, queer, cisgender, disabled femme, and she is also polyamorous and a pleasure activist.
1: Okay, so the the MFA in poetry makes sense now because there's poetry incorporated into the text, um, mm-hmm. which I found which was very powerful. That said, twerking with Lizzo is quite the claim to fame. I hope that she puts that in um, put that in her tenure file.
0: <laughs> no, that's right. I know I would. I mean, <laughs> I don't know, what? Give me just on this alone. Okay, promotion. Okay. Exactly.
1: <laughs> but back to this insightful work. Shock begins with this incredibly stirring epigraph from Mary Hooks, who said, The mandate for Black people in this time is to avenge the suffering of our ancestors, to earn the respect of future generations, and be willing to be transformed in this work. So, Mary Hooks is an OG organizer whom everyone should know. And if you don't know about Mary, you need to learn because there's something about Mary that you need to know. (laughs) But I think this succinctly sets up the stakes of Shock's work. She boldly asserts that Black disability politics is for Black people, and this is her way of avenging her Black cultural worker ancestors.
0: And she really calls them in powerfully. Uh, The question that she poses to readers, which is, quote, are you willing to not only do the work, but be transformed by it? actually really in my opinion solidifies the unsettling call of this book so i read that and i was like oh shit you know am i like um... she was she was talking to us she's talking to you
1: she's talking to me she's talking to the (laughs) reader
0: right um and i mean she says that like i'm talking to y'all um and i had to sit there and think you know okay yeah um this is actually really the work of what a black politic, a black praxis, and a black framework should do. Not only should it be, here's the work, but like it should also provide the conditions for transformation. So just setting, setting that up right at the gate, Lovely. Um, and the research and the writing of this book actually allowed Shock to examine her own relationship with disability and how it has been shaped by her identity as a fat black queer disabled woman. And I really resonated with her discussion of how she at first rejected her own disabled identity, even as she was living a life marked by the disabilities of anxiety, depression, disordered eating, and chronic pain. And so I. As full transparency as someone who deals with all of these things, um, it really wasn't until I would say earlier this year that I really was like, oh, I, I actually am disabled and I should, <laughs> should take up this identity. Right. Um, and most of my hesitancy was around you know, not besides my own internalized ableism was like just around my interactions with medical institutions where I would face this consistent denial and dismissal of the pain that I experienced. Um, But claiming disability as a black queer woman and as a black person actually upends these anti-black medical models of disability that always already include blackness as a marker of disability, right? Through their prioritization of white people's experiences. Uh, And so that's something that we're gonna get deeper into. I just kind of threw out that sentence there, Um, but I thought before we get into that, we should actually just define some of the terms that uh, shock presents in this work. Mm
1: -hmm. And we will get to that, but I wanted to say that it it resonated with me too. she describes her investment in the subject and made me believe that I am invested as Mm -hmm. well, because we live in this world where disability is what haunts a lot of that wellness, health, well-being, self-care rhetoric. You know, and the part of the epigraph that sticks with me was about earning the respect of future generations. We're often so concerned, it's almost human nature to be concerned with our legacy, what we'll leave behind Mm -hmm. and ensuring that we'll be remembered. And, you know, we've we've talked about before how if only we were doing more respect and reverence of, of ancestors, people probably wouldn't have so many anxieties about their about their legacy. But what I think people should be thinking about is will the people who remember you respect you and respect what you contributed to the world? I think it's much more forward thinking than that vague leaving a legacy because it's not what you leave behind. It's how you try to leave the world when you're gone.
0: Period. I said that. Is, that is the line for me. <laughs> <laughs> so Shock states that
1: Black disability politics analyzes how issues of disability have been incorporated into Black activism from the 1970s to the present. She defines Black disability politics as... Quote, anti-ableist arguments and actions performed by Black cultural workers. End quote. She merges history, disability studies, Black feminist theory, and postcolonial thought to create a work that defies discipline, while contributing to the field of Black disability studies. Scholarship in Black disability studies examines quote, how disability has appeared among Black people, how disability has been treated and understood in Black communities and how blackness and disability have been and continue to be discursively linked in various cultures. And that last point, I think, goes back to, you know, what you were saying earlier about blackness being the marker of disability. Maybe people will want to hear you talk a little bit more about what that means, or what you mean yeah. by that.
0: Yeah, so, um, like, I'll, when we think about this whole definition of normal and definition of the human, what it means to be a person with rights, et cetera, often. And if you are, you know, Afro pessimist TM deep in that, you would say (laughs) all the time, right? The thing that marks the line between human less than human, normal abnormal, right? It, It falls along um, the line of blackness right so in order to determine what it means to be mentally ill right they had to kind of draw the line between what makes a colonizer who exacts forms of violence that is was unimaginable to colonize communities right that was seen as sane but the work the the work that marginalized communities did like african folks did, right, to heal their own bodies and heal their relationships with each other, that was marked as irrational and insane, right? So that kind of line of thinking is what justified the colonization of Africa and the world. What's this kind of marker between the white self and other? Um, And so we still see that today, and when when we think about the ways that Black people are not um, seen, as disabled um, or not prioritized in disability justice movements, right? When white people are put forth to the front, it's to say like, oh, there's something wrong with being disabled, right? You as a as someone who has this identity of white should actually not experience this form of oppression. So this movement is to make sure that you don't your life is um, your livelihood is not um, badly affected by this form of oppression. And what that does though, is reaffirm or reify the fact that there are certain people whose lives have always already been marked in these ways, um, actually deserve it. So that's like how I think about it. Uh, And another way that Shock identifies that blackness and disability are linked is through the way that the canon of disability studies kind of um, demarcates like black art, culture and politics uh, as as using disability as a metaphor for racism's effect on Black people. So when you see those Black artists that say, you know, racism cripples us, right, then you're, for mm. people who are, are always already crippled, right, you're saying that you're kind of invisibilizing, right, their oppression, um, and then also marking it as something, you know, on the level of racism, um, which is, you know those two things work together right it's not oppression olympics right racism and disability actually um work together to oppress black people and so um what these what these things do right by using disability as a metaphor for racism's effect on black people is they fail to incorporate disability politics culture or even pride Right? And, um, and they do that in a way that's actually legible to white disability studies and disability rights movements. And so what Shock does, uh, her intervention, which I find to be just really powerful, right, is actually unfolding this Black disability politics into a larger disability justice framework. And we've talked about disability justice already, because I feel like we talk about all the things all the time here. Uh, and we talked about it in a... <laughs> We try. <laughs> um, in a previous episode, uh, season two, episode 13, Nobody is Normal. And so if you want to revisit our conversation there for more background on what disability justice is, feel free. Um, but in her work, Shock reminds us that a disability justice framework is... Um, that does not prioritize the most impacted across multiple marginalized identities, that is not anti-capitalist, that is not sustainable, nor does it allow for solidarity across different kinds of disability, is actually not liberatory work. So what we see in a lot of, um, I would say in a lot of these kind of anti-autism campaigns, right? is, is this move to exclude groups of people So what I find transformative about black disability politics is that it, quote, encourages a move away from a primarily identity-based approach to disability and towards a theoretical approach that seeks to trace how disability functions as an ideology, epistemology, and system of oppression, in addition to an identity and lived experience. So what does that mean? Uh... She's saying that Black disability politics does not do the tokenizing thing, right? Does not do the the hierarchical thing that says because you identify as a disabled person with X, Y, Z, physical, visible evidence, right? Like maybe you are, um, you use a wheelchair, maybe you use a cane, et cetera. So because you are this white person with this visible disability, right? You deserve to have certain rights or you deserve to be, in the fight for the rights for disability justice, right? And that kind of invisibilizes everyone else who doesn't fit that kind of, um, that framework, right? But what Black disability politics does is it actually takes on the systematic oppression of disabled people by taking into account all of their other identities within this kind of matrix of oppression. And Shaw critically explores how disability, quote, operates as a social system, historically, discursively, ideolo- ideologically, ooh, what word was that? And materially in our world. Um, and this cannot be done without an explicit focus on Black people's experiences.
1: Shock is careful to say that this includes all Black people, not just those who are disabled. We cannot have liberation with, without an attention to disability, right? We encounter Black disability politics in our movements in a multitude of ways. Black disability politics are, quote, articulated in text, speech, political platforms, and ideologies, or enacted in activism, organizing, lobbying, art, and interpersonal dynamics by Black cultural workers, end quote. Shock defines Black cultural workers as activists, artists, writers, scholars, intellectuals, and others whose work directly responds to and influences culture. This book contextualizes how Black people have enacted Black disability politics across time in our liberation movements and lays out the four common qualities of Black disability politics.
0: And from Shock's observations black disability politics is always intersectional so always thinking through feminism anti capitalism and anti imperialism, but emphasizes race and racism to concern itself with the material impacts of racism as it overlaps with ableism so black disability politics is not necessarily based in disability identity because it can be enacted by any black person interrogating the intersection of racism and oppression. And because not all people with impairments, disabilities or illnesses claim disability or identify with the general disability community.
1: Yes, you talked about that hesitation to identify um, as disabled. And of course, that relates to not wanting to compound marginalizations,
0: mm-hmm.
1: or possibly for you and for many other people. In the last two of the common qualities, Shock explains that Black cultural workers engage with the socio political and socio historical contexts and circumstances that shape experiences and understandings of disability. Finally, Black disability politics is holistic, addressing whole body minds. Not just physical disability. So I used this term earlier, body mind, which is written as one word, so there's no space between body mind, to signal the inseparable nature of the body and the mind. Ultimately, this book is about praxis. And if you're like, okay, praxis, uh, what's that? Heard it? Don't know it? We talked about it in season two. <laughs> don't know her? Never met her. Met her. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we talked about it in season two episode eight 40 acres ain't praxis and so in general just as a as a gloss it's the intersection of theory and practice Mm
0: -hmm. and the praxis interludes uh which are featured in the book i demonstrate some practical applications of black disability political theory so shock is i mean as a pedagogue i again all the flowers um anyway but yes but actually you know the commitment to accessibility in this book again is a demonstration of this black disability politics so i just Mm -hmm. if you ever listen to us talk about this um dr shock i'm clapping all the hands (laughs) um thank you right and so as a content warning um In our discussion of praxis interlude one, we will look at and repeat an ableist term that was used by the Black Panther Party. So please take care of yourself accordingly. But in this section, shock aims to demonstrate that it is possible protest disabling violence, right? Without reinforcing, it is possible to protest disabling violence without reinforcing fears about disability. And so in protesting psychosurgical procedures, the Black Panther Party referred to the survivor as a vegetable. And so throughout this interlude, we get a really practical read of of this example as something that is actually a common issue in organizing, and in particular in Black organizing movements, um, it's something that we should be extra critical of, right? Movements will use disability produced by oppressive violence as one example of why that violence is unjust. But this rhetoric actually rests on ableist fears of disablement and loss of autonomy, right? So this pointing to being a vegetable as something to fear and run away from, um, which actually reinforces the idea that disability is tragic and is something that is akin to death.
1: Yeah, so as a corrective, Shock explains that activists and cultural workers must acknowledge the intersecting issues involved and focus on the violence that causes the harm rather than the potential disability resulting from the harm. If the way to radicalize people is by playing on fears of being disabled, your strategy is ableist. And we absolutely saw that throughout the pandemic, right? It mm-hmm. was like, we, we need, we need health care, we need vaccines, we need all of these kinds of things um, so that we don't end up with chronic illnesses, so that we don't end up, you know, with all of these different problems from long-term COVID that people have been having. Um, and so people were playing upon these fears. And mm-hmm. so our movements are not supposed to be about getting rid of disability, right? disability is always going to exist Mm -hmm. so cultural workers must fight for concrete systems to support those disabled by structural violence so that they can live happy and fulfilling lives
0: right period uh disability is something that not only is always going to be here but it's something that all of us will face um and part of the lie of white supremacists. cis (laughs) cis patriarchal <laughs> capitalism. I just, I'm laughing because uh, I was in a meeting where somebody was like, we need to be using all these terms. So I'm just laughing, flashing back to that moment, um, right? Where the lie is that you can um, postpone death and again, thinking of disability as akin to death, right? By mm-hmm. adhering to all these different systems for as long as possible, right? That is the lie. That's the, the major fear. So the fear of disability is not, just the fear of, you know, um, disablement and impairment, but also there's the fear of death, right. That manifests itself again.
1: Another one of the lies is that people who become disabled deserve it. Mm -hmm. And, and because it was their fault, they don't, they don't deserve any help, any aid. They don't deserve the emotional financial, um, material, Help that they can need that they need in order to, in order to survive and thrive. And that is that's like that's capitalism. That's capitalism working for you. That's white supremacy working in service of those Literally. kinds of ideas.
0: Yeah, but I think.
1: And I mean, here we go. That leads us nicely yeah into really. our next segment, which is
0: what, what, what in the world?
1: what in the world what is going on
0: what the fuck is going on
1: <laughs> okay so <laughs> there's so much i want to talk about when it comes to the AAAS, even though i was only there mm-hmm. virtually and in spirit supporting people whose uh panels i could not watch because they weren't all live streamed um yeah I really want to chat about the mysteriously canceled roundtable. Uh, <laughs> folks might know what I'm talking about, um, <laughs> which was supposed to be about the Harvard letter and the secrets and lies. And uh, we, we did we did an episode on that very early on when, when some first. Of the Harvard, It was I think it was our second or third episode. So very early on when the allegations had, had come out um but that roundtable was mysteriously canceled and as brendan said someone's lawyer was probably like ah ah, don't do (laughs) it if anyone wants to know and if anyone knows the the story um
0: please
1: just slide into our dms
0: but importantly we're nosy we're nosy anthropologists we we are
1: (laughs) nosy and we won't we won't share it on the podcast we promise unless you want us to (laughs) (laughs) but importantly Going back to the fact that I had to, <laughs> we had to bootleggedly have someone live stream your fire ass panel um, that you were on with one of our previous guests, Anuli Aknebu, and others. Um, I wanna know why we seem to have forgotten the lessons of the past three years. And I'm saying three, even though people might be like, it was 2020 and we're only in 2022. We started hearing about COVID in 2019, y'all. Yeah. In November. yep. Then December rolled around. I remember I was, a, I was, it was January 20, 2020. And I was making jokes about whether or not we should be out, whether or not we should be wearing a mask. And then everyone was like, it's going to be fine. And so instead of <laughs> taking precautions, mm-hmm. our hubris kept us from addressing it for nearly five months. Mm-hmm. And so in light of that, knowing what we know now, in search of the normal, here we are, in search of Mm -hmm. the normal, we have stopped making events accessible. We're no longer live streaming. We're not enforcing mask wearing um, or requiring negative PCR tests for in-person events. So what that says to me is that your politics are neoliberal it's every person for themselves you're not like as brendan pointed out to me once the mask is not for you like the mask doesn't protect you it protects others so you're actually prioritizing your bodily autonomy over the bodily autonomy of everybody else which is hella neoliberal but okay
0: hella neoliberal uh i'll say I'm like, I don't want to go back and forth over my experience uh, too much. So I'll just say that I had um there was a policy at AAA that if you were unvaccinated, you could not get your badge. And um, but all you needed to get your badge was to be you know up to date with your vaccination. There was no requirement to be masked. And I don't think I saw a single person take a test there were boxes of tests but I don't think anybody even gestured toward doing that because you know that's inconvenient um and so I brought it up in a meeting of just you know this policy actually is liberal theater because we all know that COVID is transmitted through the air right um we also know that even though we were told at the at the beginning of the vaccine dissemination that these things would prevent people from from getting covid would prevent people from having you know um symptoms of long covid would prevent death that we now know that this is no longer true right um so the only way to prevent people from getting covid is to make sure that the people who are present don't already have it and cannot transmit it right so we need to wear masks and we need to take tests um, so I mentioned, you know, that this is kind of like a liberal theater because how how is requiring vaccination but not testing people any different in the outcomes, right, of an event of someone in the far right that doesn't have a vaccination requirement? If we're thinking about outcomes and, and safety, there is no difference. The difference is the theater around it, right, um, which mm-hmm. someone... Uh, When I tweeted about it, it was just like, you know, that is liberal security theater, right? So this this idea that we are creating um, a barrier, a secure barrier where everyone thinks alike, right? We're progressive, quote unquote, because we all have this vaccine. We're all taking up community responsibility when disabled people from the beginning have been saying, we cannot take a vaccine only approach to this. This is going to backfire. There are actually people, mm-hmm. disabled people, right? Who have such severe allergies or such, um, you know, are so immunocompromised or have medications, right? That actually prevent them from being able to be vaccinated. And we have basically told them, well, since you can't be vaccinated, you might as well sit your ass at home.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Which is, how was that different from their lives before? You know, and not to, you know, gloss it too much or be too crass about it, but like, what are we doing to protect the communities that we say we're pushing for rights for? And how is that different from what all of the people that people have made fun of, you know, the big, when the vaccine rollout came and people were saying, well, you know, these people are not, you know, there were a lot of judgments being made about folks who were unvaccinated. Um, some of them right, right? Like some of the stories and conspiracy theories, you know, <laughs> being like, oh, Girl, I don't know about that, but for the folks who were, who are unable to be vaccinated for a variety of reasons, right? What are we telling them in our rush to normalcy? We're saying, yeah, we want, we want to go back to this normal that excluded you or put you in a lesser status, right? Um, And we have to really be real with ourselves about that. Like, if that's what we're doing, that's what we're doing, and we can't sit here and continue to pretend like that's any different from the folks who were saying that being vaccinated, I'm not getting vaccinated because it's got, a, there's a chip in there. You know, like <laughs> <laughs> we, you know, we, we have to. What was the other one? It's right.
1: the mark of the beast.
0: The mark of the beast, you it's know, like the mark of the beast. this is how and I nice. think, I think the other,
1: the, an interesting thing about this whole we don't we want to go back to normal so we don't want to wear masks is that it's very euro western centric Mm -hmm. i don't know what would that be (laughs) oxycentric eccentric um because there are Mm -hmm. tons of countries in the world for whom it is normal to wear a mask when there is when there's an illness around to wear masks in public in public areas where crowds gather, it is normal for them to protect other people.
0: Right.
1: When there's when there's a respiratory illness going around or when there's any kind of illness going around or when there's even the possibility of an illness going around because it's flu season, for example. So I think that we're really yeah. centering this, this normal that is... That is very specifically ours, and that, as you were saying, is 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 ableist, ableist,
0: anti black, and that shit was not good for us on the other side. Like, I just like we talk. Ask me before, when the last time.
1: Like... I mean, besides when I got COVID, I did get COVID. <laughs> I did get COVID after I was vaccinated. Um, but I, other than that, I have not been sick in two. Basically, since last flu season, I got sick right before um, and I thought I had COVID um, because it was maybe a month before everything shut down. Mm -hmm. And that's the that's the last time I've been deathly ill from from the flu or from a cold or anything like that. So. I mean, listen, if that's the normal y'all want to get back to.
0: Be my guest. I don't know if I can meet y'all there. <laughs> okay. I don't know if I can meet y'all there. <laughs> and you know, I'm not gonna, I mean, I don't know if the people at this meeting listen to this or not. But what also really underscored my point about it being liberal theater was at that same meeting, um, where I brought up, you know this being an accessibility issue, another attendant at that meeting was being congratulated for attending the meeting even though they had pneumonia. Mm. Active, live pneumonia. So when you talk about people have forgotten the lessons, it's, I'm glad, I mean, I don't know if you got COVID or not because we didn't test you, but at least you're vaccinated and you're here without a mask in a room and in a an closed room with other people with pneumonia. I, that's, that's, how I, that's when I said I'm, I'm listen. done with y'all fucking anthropologist. I'm done with y'all <laughs> because what that makes no sense. This literally makes no sense. And I gripe about this to my partner all the time. I'm like, this this shit makes no sense, and I need people to eat to be rid it or be not. Like, just just be for real. If you bat it, you bat it. If you not, you not. Let's just be for real. Let's be for real about I, it. I
1: thought we were past this. I thought we were past congratulating people who have who are actively sick. I thought we were I thought we were past that.
0: No, we're going back. As I to said, normal. I was
1: like, this is this is clown foolery. This is you. You say theater, I say circus. <laughs> <laughs> and that exemplifies the clown foolery really? of, of oh normal. maybe that but should be that the clown foolery of our, normal
0: uh, carousel no the uh or maybe that but the um in the carousel that we post that meme that's like bitch is the circus <laughs> and it's <laughs> <laughs> there you go put...
1: <laughs> there you go we're we never getting invited circus. back to AAA now um uh... <laughs> <laughs> okay, but one thing, all right, one thing that I did want to talk about today, where should I go? Where should I go? Where should I go? Okay. I'm going to talk assuming. about Love is Blind because I came across it again recently. This conversation that was being had by Nancy, who was one of the women who got engaged on Love is Blind. Y'all, yeah, well, Brendan doesn't watch it, but she knows the general concepts of,
0: of what mm, happens. I participate in enough conversations. <laughs>
1: So Nancy, who is, has gotten engaged on Love Is Blind to a man named Bartice they're having a conversation, trying to learn what each other's values are, what's important to them, and she says, "What do you think about abortion?" And he's like, "No, I'm I'm against I'm against abortion." And so she starts saying, "Well, you know, I used to work with families whose whose children have Down syndrome and." They suffer because of it and they really struggle. And I just think that if I knew that my child had Down syndrome, I would get an abortion because Mm. I wouldn't want to put them through that and Mm. I wouldn't want to put myself through that. Surprisingly, and I was very active on Twitter, um, people were totally like, yes, pro-choice, do your thing. But nobody called out the ableism of that comment. Yeah. Yeah. To say that mm-hmm. to say that people whose children have Down syndrome suffer, they struggle, that is not again, this goes back to what is the point of these of, of like disability just, justice and of movements. It's how can how can we make their lives better? Not how can we eradicate right. this right. which is which is basically a change in one of your chromosomes. Um, or an additional chromosome. Mm-hmm. How can we the question is not how do we eradicate it? The question is what support do, does the child does the family need in order to survive and thrive? That, that's, that's going to be the word survive and thrive. Yeah and it's so that, all of that to say that ableism is so deeply embedded in our, in, in our society, in the structure that people are like, yeah, totally understand, totally cool with, with like the eugenics of that. Makes sense to me. And nobody called it out. At least not, I, I think I saw one, I think I saw a TikTok recently about it, but at the time when it was airing on Twitter, did not.
0: Yeah, and I think you're, like, that is exactly it. Right? The fact that we see disability as an individual's issue versus actually something that represents the I don't want to use the word diversity but just the I'm gonna use the word expansiveness right the expansiveness (laughs) of human experience right um and again one that we will all all experience right as you get older your joints your brain your body your body mind it changes right so Mm -hmm. again no amount of healthy eating is going to prevent you from aging. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure
1: Elon Musk is working on it.
0: He, I'm sure he is. He's, he's him, or, him or Richard Branson on Twitter? So
1: yeah, him or Richard Branson. They're probably working on on the fountain of youth. But yeah, I mean, there you go, wasting money on Twitter. That I mean, this whole episode came up because of Twitter. Um, yeah. So this is a very Twitter heavy, what in the world segment. <laughs> I'm pretty yeah, sure Twitter all of our heavy. little notes are like from Twitter. Um,
0: yeah. And I think too, just, just on, on that point, again, um, a lot of what spurs this kind of eugenics, right? Look, is this European or what do you say? What do you call it? O- 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 ox- o-
1: oxcentric? O- like occidental. O- ox- oh, oxcentric.
0: Ox- yeah, oxcentric. <laughs> I, like I coined it, it um, cite me. <laughs> <laughs> like is this focus on like the visible, right? So even when we think about disability um and disability movements, a lot of times they want to put to the forefront folks who are visibly quote unquote disabled, right? Um or And so there's there's this focus on what you can observe with your eye, right? And that being something that is like a central tenet of European thinking and thought, right? Mm -hmm. Is the observable. Uh, And so a lot of times this this ableism around birthing children who have certain disabilities is not necessarily about the child's, like the the concern about quality of life is, is intimately tied to the beauty of the child, right? Or, or how people would mm. see my child. Um, and so it's not just like life is hard because my child has certain cognitive or physical disabilities, but also the thing that people, you know, um, because a lot of children with Down syndrome actually can be in, in quote unquote normal classrooms, right? But what mm-hmm. what is that distinguishing factor for them that people always tend to focus on are their eyes um and so that's something that i think about a lot too and in, in thinking about ableism it's like how so much of it is about what you can see what you can observe like if someone possibly if someone encountered me on a day where i'm not experiencing the the pain that i experience they might say oh you know you're not disabled or i wouldn't
1: Yes. I mean, as I was saying, a lot of it is about projection, right? It's people mm-hmm. are projecting onto, onto who they see as disabled and thinking, wow, I'm, I'm so glad that's not me. Or there's a fear about them becoming that way if, you know, mm-hmm. if it's not something that's genetic or whatever. I think what I wanted to add to that was that a lot of families, a lot of parents would be OK with things if they weren't so scared of what other people thought. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of it is what other people think about them. Um, what they'll think about their kid. What are people going to say? How How is their child going to be treated? All of those kinds of things.
0: Yeah.
1: A, a lot of a lot of what parents are worried about is is more is more external.
0: Um, yeah, because a lot of people see their children as accessories. But that's a extension well, we for themselves. We <laughs> Oh, that's a black children, a black family. Ooh, a black family episode. We could bring a mama on here. <laughs> talk yeah, about Molly that. Back.
1: <laughs> but I mean, thinking about the black family, we we started talking about that the casual, is it really casual ableism that is deeply, so deeply entrenched in black families, right? You know, you hear mm-hmm. you hear families be like, oh, you know, you have that uncle, he's like, he's a little touched, or. No, that cousin is special, you know, things like that. And with my mom, you know, she would kind of just look at people who might have depression and she would be like, that's not a disability. Like, why, why don't they just get over it? There's so many good things going on in their lives. And she told me that she saw a commercial once, I think it was during Mental Health Month, and this was years ago. And the commercial said, you wouldn't tell someone with cancer to just get over it. And that helped her switch her mindset around around people who have depression, who have anxiety, and and things like that. So just that little like piece of information, that little connection, h- helped her helped her make that that mental switch. But up until then, I mean, Jamaicans are Jamaicans are definitely like scared of mental illness in particular. That's very much a a thing, even with um, we were talking about this earlier. You know, if you if you ha- if you're a kid and you're really smart, if you like to read and things like that, I've definitely heard people say like, you know, she might become we're scared she'll be schizophrenic or, you know, she she might grow up mad is are the kinds of the conversations that you might have or, somebody who does have schizophrenia they'll be like, oh, she was so smart when she was young but you know too many books will make you go crazy things like that so there's definitely I don't know I I don't know there's a, that's a project for somebody to um to unpack but that whole like madness blackness interaction
0: yeah I mean there there are a couple of books about that now um Terry Pickens has one mm-hmm. um yeah I hope I'm pronouncing her name Yeah, black madness mad blackness and Lamar Jarrell Bruce I hope I think I'm saying their name right as well has had a book out about madness too and one other thing that I saw on YouTube because YouTube always suggests a range of things to me um, was this uh, TED talk about someone who was like well, multiple things so they were talking about how for people like the difference between a spiritual experience um which is like you know because people who who worship god say they hear god right they hear the voice of mm-hmm. god um and difference between that being like marked as you know schizophrenia or or another type of mental illness is is your ability to function in society right so it's not necessarily mm-hmm. like a lot of what we what is even written as disability, again, getting back to this kind of colonizing roots of psychology and anthropology and all these other quote unquote sciences, right, is, is a way to demarcate who deserves to have wealth, power, et cetera, and who deserves to have that taken from them, right? And so like a, a lot of what is written in the DSM-5 as mental illness is really, um, could be, uh, we call it pathologizations of different cultural aspects, um, mm-hmm. different and different other things. Like some things that are, and there's a black feminist mm-hmm. scholar, Feminista Jones, talks about how a lot of the things that are pathologized in the DSM five are actually um, aspects of like an African or an Afrocentric kind of culture, mm-hmm. and so. For people who are doing like critical psychology and, and other kind of work, it's important not to take these categories of mental illness as truth and such, right? To take that science and interrogate it. Um, and also while also holding the truth that, as you mentioned, your family, my family, <laughs> my my family they are they have their own struggles with mental illness I think all of us have our own things going on um (laughs) and like um like
1: you can't can't admit it you can't talk about it you can't admit it
0: (laughs) you can I I just will say I just will say that what something really funny happened where my mom was telling me about how she was she's a mental health responder and my aunt literally whipped around so fast it was on like facetime and she like whipped around so fast and was like how you gonna be responding to mental health when you got mental health like it was (laughs) such it was so funny (laughs) and it was so it was like one of those like yeah yeah but also we have to empower people in communities to to help Mm -hmm. and support each other um, but also, yes, hilarious. And I think as a as a community, quote unquote, right, a black community, however you want to define that, we really have to embrace that our work is not liberatory if we are not including neuroexpansive people if we're not including um, disabled people and actually really doing it in a way that prioritizes them and their needs and not just saying, oh, it's accessible, but then people like, oh, this meeting is accessible, but there's the elevators broken and I got to walk up five flights of stairs to get to it, which is something that happens <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, or of this meeting is accessible, but we didn't do the work beforehand to figure out Zoom. So we don't know how to do live captions or we don't know how to do all of these things. Um, so it, it, it can't just be accessible in in theory, right or in principle you actually have to be doing the damn thing yeah
1: i think there i mean there was a thread going around on twitter a conversation about people who recently received diagnoses about their neuroexpansiveness and they would mention it to their parents and they'd be like yeah so about that we we knew since you were five actually that you have ADHD or yeah, you know, I'm pretty sure I'm autistic too, <laughs> kind of conversations like that and you know, I I, saw that too. I, I wonder where that's where that's coming from, I, I suppose that there's an anxiety about how the how these compounding oppressions will affect your affect your life mm-hmm. um, especially as as a parent and I guess they you know, they look at their kid and they're like, well, they're functioning, they're they're normal to me, so we're not going to get them any help because I don't want to stigmatize them. I think, there's a, I think that's what it mm-hmm. is. There's like a fear of stigmatizing your child. Um, and that means that we need to change, not they need to change. Society needs to change. Um, so that people mm-hmm. aren't waiting 25, 30 years to improve their quality of life.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. But I think, so, so what happened right after this? So right after we decided on this topic, (laughs) (laughs) Meek Mill, rapper, he tweeted. Well, someone tweeted at him, hashtag ask Meek, are you neurodivergent? And he quote tweeted and said, we never use that word in the trenches. What's that? So this had people cracking up. And people were saying that some of them, they just got called special and different. They were, people said they were a little touched and all these kinds of things. And I think what it did is (laughs) it actually, even though this this conversation was now being had, we're now kind of reinforcing the stigmas around neurodivergent. Like these conversations Mm -hmm. were reinforcing these stigmas around, um, around it.
0: Yeah, like reinforcing the stigmas and to, I guess, to be, not to be typical Gemini devil's advocate, (laughs) but also I think some of those ways of talking about it um, that actually highlight that black people understand an expansiveness in one way, like, Mm. like, yeah, he's a little, he's special or, you know, something like that. So I don't know, how can, I guess, what i'm trying to say is that we have ancestral memory of like what it is to to always already not be quote unquote normal, right? And to actually live in that and embrace that and and provide support in our communities for folks who um who so they can get what they need and when we chase white supremacy when we chase you know these like the aspirations of capitalism we lose that uh and so um it would i just i just am like dreaming of a of a black world where we can actually be like we're like saying you know he's a little touched actually means you know this person is actually has a more expansive way of seeing the world versus it being that stigmatizing you too yeah that you talked about
1: yeah and I think another another thing if we're if we are going to be gemini about it (laughs) if i'm going to be aquarius and on both sides is that it did open up a conversation about Mm uh about mental uh, about mental illness and and other kinds of psychological disabilities um you know supernova mama on twitter she talked about how a lot of children who are raised in poverty who are raised in the hood have complex ptsd which is also mm-hmm. a form of, of neurodivergence or neuroexpansiveness. So, you know, I think I think that there can be positives to these problematic conversations, but there needs to be the voices out there to to actually point out why we need to be thinking and talking about this as a community, quote unquote, an imagined one. <laughs> an imagined community. Right benedict anderson um but yeah i think our (laughs) our last point and why we actually decided to have this conversation um was was thanks to mia our social media assistant who said you know we can we can use this this fall of twitter as a time to talk about ways that we can we can organize um without without these internet platforms and Mm -hmm. um you know, what, what can we do? This is, we have to, um, I think it's important for us to think about this as an opportunity, as much as, much as it is a loss. And of course, there are lots of um, disability justice activists and um, cultural workers on Twitter who are talking about losing community, I'm thinking about Amani Barberin, aka Crutches and Spice, you know, losing Twitter is a loss of community, right? Um, so now is our time to start thinking about if, the, if all of these platforms disappeared, how are we going to continue being in community with each other? How are we going to continue progressing
0: in our movements? Right. What is the Black Liberation Movement plan for when all this shit becomes I mean, they're already surveillance tools, right? So when these surveillance tools <laughs> collapse, what are we going to do? Yep. We can't, um, and how are we going to make, yeah, how are we going to make these spaces accessible? Because we can't go back to the way things were or we're just going to reproduce a world like this one. So Exactly, exactly. And I'm tired of there that. There is no going oh, bike. There is no going, going bike. bike. <laughs> so let's move forward or let's move on to just think of this better, as an opportunity
1: to, to like, you know, use the platforms as they're needed. But there needs to be, I mean, I mean, really community care, community access and the people around you are going to be the ones who are going to take care of you when or hopefully building those connections are, you know, that's going to be what's going to help you get through the end times that are nigh.
0: <laughs> mm. Yeah. <laughs> Period.
1: <laughs> end times. I I didn't interlocutor say that to me. <laughs> I think I said wow. to her, I was like, why? I asked her why something and she was like, It's the end of days, bitch. What you think is the end of days.
0: Wow. So she like, think Jesus yeah. coming back soon.
1: Probably. And this is a very Catholic country, so probably. Or island, I should oh. say. <laughs> um, okay, well. I heard you. Yes. Anything, any final words, Brendan? We wrapped this baby up. Wrapped it up.
0: I know. I think we, yeah, I'm like, I don't have any final words. Um. Yeah. I feel like in our other disability episode, we hit a lot of We other hit, things we too, hit so points. Like we hit points. Yeah, well, y'all, um,
1: this is just the beginning of the conversation. We are not the be-all, end-all. Mm-hmm. So keep reading, keep thinking. Um, definitely follow, donate to Ngozi, aka Nguagua, I think is how it be pronounced, on Twitter. But we will link all of that in the comments. We just want you to know that no expansiveness is all their work. And we are just... We are just the messengers.
0: <laughs> so I'm just the messengers. If you in repeat that, 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 please Oh, cite oh yeah, this
1: is like them, not us. All right. <laughs> yes, please.
0: One thing to, I guess, to say as one of those people who um discovered slash self-diagnosed myself um with some kind of neuro expansive experience like autism. Um it has been affirming to meet people or to read about it online and to meet other black um femmes other black women who also discover later in life oh wait I have a different experience so just wanted to say um it's it's been a great way to meet community in that sense too and a great way to learn about myself so bye twitter gonna miss you go miss you girl <laughs> whenever you decide to leave <laughs> I don't know. Is Twitter
1: really going to leave? Is it really going to be gone? I think I think there might be a blackout period, but I think it'll be back. I think it'll come back. Yeah. And there's, I mean, there's I no other platform on, like Twitter. There. Yeah, exactly, mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. I I downloaded my archive just in case. Not that there's that much interesting stuff on on my Twitter, but I did download my archive just in case. I think that there will be a blackout, but I think it'll be back because there's no, there's no other platform like Twitter where there's the possibility of seeing content that's outside of your echo chamber. I think that is, there's the possibility. People make it so that it's not, but it is a possibility. There's lots of things that come into your feed because of whoever you follow, the kinds of, the kinds of things that you're interested in, um, and so, I think in that sense, it is important. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Twitter.
1: I guess I will miss Twitter.
0: <laughs> yeah, who's who's gonna sing at the funeral? Twitter funeral. That was funny mm-hmm. thread. Mm-hmm. Whoa, <laughs> that was a funny thread. Honestly, all of, of the black show, Twitter is but...
1: so, and black Twitter is going to be missed. Will be missed. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm gonna see if I can. I'm aging myself yeah. again here, but I'm gonna see if I can uh revitalize my black planet account. <laughs> before your time, Brendan. I you were probably seven I, when I feel like, when Black Planet was a thing.
0: <laughs> I feel like I went to school people who had a Black Planet account. I just didn't have internet at home. So
1: I was I was there in the that was early days. There. I mean I wasn't active but I was on Black Planet in the early days where a lot of the older black writers for example, Writers for the Root and stuff, a lot of them got started because of their commentary and uh, their threads that they would share on, on Black Planet and their comments. And, so, and then I think there was, because it really was like a dating site or something. <laughs> and then, well, so tell me what a 12-year-old is doing on a dating site. But anyways. That's another story <laughs> for another day. Because the internet <laughs> in 2001 was the wild, wild fucking west. But
0: it was. Oh, it, was it was the chat wild, west out
1: there. Chat rooms, the oh, messengers,
0: Lord. ASL, which now means something completely different. Um, I, do I even want to look it up? Probably not. No, it's just like SL S L like, as hell, as, hell, like um, as hell. Now they just say ASL. I don't know who came up with that, but I don't. No, like
1: Probably it. probably Gen Z because they don't like to write. Um, <laughs> they <sure>. don't like. <laughs>
0: True. Less time, the better. All right.
1: Okay. Before we go too far off topic, thank you all very much for listening. That is all we have today. This episode was produced by Alyssa James and Brendan Tynes and distributed in partnership with the American Anthropological Association. This season of the podcast is generously funded by a grant from the Arts and Science Graduate Council, the Heyman Center Public Humanities Graduate Fellowship, and donations from listeners just like you.
0: So thank you all for your support. If you like this episode, please share it via social media, WhatsApp. I mean, we don't have to go back to writing letters, it seems. Um, <laughs> postcards. We would love yeah postcards broken telephone type it up send it to a friend we would love to hear what you have to say about this episode so be sure to follow us on instagram at zora's daughters and on twitter at zora's underscore daughters for transcripts syllabi and information on how to cite us or become a patron to access exclusive content visit our website ZorasDaughters.com.
1: last but not least remember to be kind to yourselves bye bye Bye. Bye. i got the crab in the bucket trying to get down but i'm moving on i'm trying to get down but i'm moving on Ah, i got the crab in the bucket Mm -hmm.
0: you really don't know that song Mm -mm. i'm going to know it though next time (laughs) let me do youtube